Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a talk about innovation, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, and much more. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zorkario, product innovation and value creation expert, and I'll be your host. And today I have a special guest, David Graham. Hi, David. Hey, guys. Hey, Adi. Great to be here. So David Graham is the co-founder at Diplomatic Rebels, and I'm so happy that he's joining us today. And we had a talk not long ago, and I'm sure it's going to be really interesting. So great. We can start. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions and... And now we can start, and I hope you'll be with us. So I'm always starting with this big question that sometimes it's like overwhelming, but what is the biggest obstacle to innovation? <laughs> yeah, that, mm-hmm. that is a big um, question. And, um, and, you know, yeah, so my experience is, is basically having worked in large corporations for, for many years, right? And, and exactly trying to tackle what, you know, these obstacles Um, how do you make innovation run more smoothly in organizations? And especially, um, I spent nine years at Lego with exactly trying to say, you know, what, what is needed to make innovation really flow freely in an organization? And, um, and so, of course, there are many obstacles, both on a structural level, on a you know, process level, governance, on a human level. But um, maybe, you know, some of the biggest obstacles that I've observed um, would be starting with sort of the number one, which is a lack of clear direction when it comes to innovation. It seems that many companies, you know, they're super good at setting very clear strategies and direction for their existing business. But then when it comes to innovation, it's, it's sort of more vague. It's like, yeah, we need to innovate, but nobody's really talking about more concretely. You know what is it that's relevant and interesting for us? So this about setting more clear direction, or as I call it, opportunity spaces, identifying clear opportunity spaces for the company. What is it that we should pursue? You know, and it's a mix of sort of the internal context analysis, like what is our mission and purpose? Where do we want to take our company with an external context analysis? What's changing in the world? What's happening? Um, what are the consumers wanting and needing in the future? And where those two intersect and overlap, that is where you identify your opportunity spaces, right? And then you sort of need to make yourself a thought leader into that. You know, the trick here is to, to build new capabilities, right, when you innovate. So that means you need to really sort of dive deep. And only when you do that, you start having a more clear point of view, which becomes a direction. Like, where is it that we need to take? What is the right path for us into these new spaces? Yeah. So that's the number one obstacle that I often see, that there's sort of a lack of that. And it's a discipline, right? It's a discipline around innovation and setting clear directions for it that, that ultimately should be owned by the C-suite, the executives. But often it's pushed down to mid-level in the organization. You guys figure out what we should do. And then it's like, why is that not strategic? Why is that not the job of the CEO and, and the rest of the, the, the executive team? Uh, and it needs to become that, right? Right. But you just mentioned that you worked in Lego, and Lego is, is perceived as a very innovative 
company in their domain, right? So yeah. do you take what you learned there and trying to make something which is a bit similar to what you had in Lego? So what could you take from this experience to what you're doing right now? Yeah, so absolutely. So they, they are very focused on creating um, very clear direction for innovation across the different levels of innovation, right? Because there's both the more incremental around the existing core and then there's a more radical innovation where you're really exploring new territory. And depending on what level you're on, you need um, you know, direction for each of these areas. It's not just enough that you have a direction for your incremental and then when it comes to the more radical, it's sort of sporadic um, and all over the place. So, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things that Lego really mastered is, um, is being very good at understanding what is changing in the world and where do we want to take, you know, our company and, um, and, and how does that connect and match? And that, that helps then the design teams and the innovation teams, you know, having really clear paths, of course, still not knowing exactly what is the experience, what is the product, what's the service that needs to be explored. But they've carved out some very clear directions that's based on deep understanding and immersion into these areas, into these changes, and not just you know, some, some vague sort of uh, guidance towards maybe, maybe blockchain, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but, you know, so not following the shiny objects, but really understanding deeply what, what this could become and how this could be relevant for the company yeah. in the future. So I just imagine that Lego has these very creative people all around, but I don't know. It's just my imagination. Do they really hire more creative, open-minded people, or it's just, you know, the PR <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to compare companies, but, but definitely my experience is that it's, um, it, is a, it is a highly creative company and, and very much because, of course, you know, tied to the, its, its product and services, this is about creating creative experiences for kids. So yeah. naturally, you're very sort of, um, you know, invited to, to be creative, to think creatively. And, you know, Lego is hosting this one day every year, which they call, you know, uh, the play day. And it is to sort of take their own medicine and say one day every year, we all need to go training how to play more, how to be more playful in our approach to creating and to um, running the business. So, um, so I would say it is, it is a fairly um, creative uh, organization and, um, and definitely a great place to work. Yeah. And do you think that creative being creative or creativeness is so important for innovation or just because this is their domain. And if I would have been like a banking or insurance company, it will not be as relevant. I, I think if for innovation to really thrive, we need more creativity in all organizations. And this is not just about what does it take to, you know, invent uh, future products and experiences and services. This is also about, uh, you know, the most foundational thing, which is what, is it, what does it take for, for human beings to thrive in an organization in the future? You know, human beings that are being more and more, um, you know, educated, um, that is more and more understanding, you know, what the good life is all about, and therefore also demanding that their work life is in balance and, and is in tune as it, and is not making them burn out. So therefore, organizations will have to invest more in how do we create a more creative environment where people feel, uh, you know, a, a deeper passion 
for the things that they're doing because there is a creative freedom, but there's also the tools and the support and coaching for you as an individual to be a little more creative. And of course, creativity can come in all sizes and, and forms and shapes. It's not that everybody ends up being, you know, these super creative artists that are doing all kinds of things, but it's being creative in each, each of your area in how to solve problems, in, uh, in how to connect with other people, in how to see, you know, connecting dots um, and seeing the bigger picture things. And I think that's, that's where all organizations, regardless of industry, can benefit from people being a little more creative and feeling that creativity is sort of in the fibers of the organization. Yeah. So you mentioned like a few directions to, to go, like from the top, like from the C-level, from the governance, from the structures, or from the bottom up, which is like from the people, their skills, the capabilities, the way they interact and work and, and maybe being creative. So what do you think is the best way to start when you're going into this innovation process or doing something different? Oh, that's another big question right there. I mean, um, it, it depends on what it is that's, that's lacking, right? Because all organizations have some level of innovation or development happening, right? So it's not like we're going from, from zero here to something. But so it depends on what is the current maturity? Like what are the problems and obstacles and challenges in, 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 in your specific organization? You first need to assess that. But typically, um, what, where you want to start is at the top. And that's because when you get the senior executives involved in the sense that they start understanding the necessity for innovation, but also what are the right ways and methods to actually do this? What is the culture that we need? What is the mindset that our people will need? Then they start becoming the right ambassadors for this, right? So both, first and foremost, they start repeating messages around this that, that's very important but they also start acting accordingly and this is the most important thing because if you have executives saying yeah we need innovation but in a, you know indirectly they're doing anything to kill it um then it's never going to work regardless of how much passion you have down in the organization um and among the people driving it so you know, you need a certain level of maturity at the top for innovation really to thrive in any organization. But then when you have that, then of course you need to carve out the space in the organization for this to happen. And that's why it's being said that future organizations need to be ambidextrous, meaning they need to be able to use both hands equally well, something that's quite difficult for most human beings. And for organizations, this means that with one hand, the organization and the senior leadership is able to manage the existing business really well, as they should continue to do, right? But with the other hand, they're equally well at exploring the future business. So leading that perspective as a senior leader, but also in the organization, having carved out the space, the resources, the right processes, the right ways of measuring value, the right tools and approach to, to lead you know, entrepreneurship and leading innovation in the organization. You know, when we're thinking about the future, what they're doing right now is their core business. They're doing it well if they're a good company, right? But thinking about the future demands uh, different capabilities, like thinking like a VC, thinking like someone who is like more creative, more open-minded, it's different. But mm -hmm. could, you, could you say like, what do you feel that right now, you know, like we're a year and a half into the COVID crisis, 
Do you think that there is anything that has changed in this capability? Do they feel more the, the need to, to change or not? Maybe they're, they're more fearful and anxious and therefore they're doing less? How do you see that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think there's, there's probably not just one truth about this. So again, it's, it's, it's a little different depending on what was the existing culture and mindset. Um, both across geographies and across specific industries and companies. But overall, I think COVID have accelerated the adoption towards digital. And digital, you know, digitalization have been sort of the big theme across any company when they talk about transformation and even innovation. So a lot of innovation in companies the last 10 years have been touching digitalization. You know, the need to move maybe into a digital business model or adopting technologies or, or digitalization into the existing system. And for that reason, COVID have sort of helped everybody embrace that a little more. All those that were still sort of holding back and not really, ah, do we really need this? I think they, they sort of tipped their toes into it and, and maybe more than that, the, the whole foot, right? And, um, and, and really sort of starting to, to build up the, the you know, confidence, basically you know, that we can do this digital. I can work with digital. I can make that work. I can have online virtual meetings that are effective, but I can also then start using all the digital tools that helps me. And maybe I can then start better imagine how, you know, the, the consumer's experience and, and user journey is more digitalized, right? Because you're starting to yourself, immerse yourself into it, using it. So it's just, it, it increases people's perspective about what's possible, about what they can do, and in a way made it more comfortable for them being in, in the digital sphere where before they were maybe reluctant or they felt um, uncomfortable and not knowing enough about it. Um, so in that sense, I think COVID um, could very well have accelerated innovation um, across every industry. But of course, you're right that there is also a flip side of saying people have also realized you know, what a good work-life balance could be staying more at home, having more time with your families, your kids, being able to pick up your kids a little earlier, et cetera. And, uh, and that's been, you know, a fantastic experience for at least some. And that also means they'll come back to the company demanding that there's a better balance um, in this. And I think actually more long-term, that's also going to benefit innovation. Because if the companies then are able to adopt to this and say, how do we make sure that our, you know, employees of people are you know able to thrive as well on, on a workplace and therefore have more energy um have better lives eventually potentially having more passion about what they do then definitely that's going to enhance innovation yeah i totally agree with that you know like in israel we are working lots of hours and it has no connection with the the deliverable so it's not like we're reaching more and i think it's connected to the fact that we are taking like the time at work the time that you're in the office the time that you're like you know uh, you you have these cards when you come to the office sometimes it's like this is what counts and actually you you could do much much more if you're focused during these hours maybe less hours than doing really well And if you're kind coming motivated, it's, it's worth much, much more than more like two or three hours more than that. So absolutely, absolutely. There was an old Howard study showing, and I can't quote it exactly. And I don't even remember, you know, exactly when it was done, but it sort of concluded that one passionate employee 
was worth almost more than 20 that were sort of merely interested and um, in terms of their impact, in terms of their performance. And that's, that was really interesting. Uh, for me, it was an eye-opener saying, okay, if companies could only make their employees slightly more passionate, but that's the tricky part. You cannot just, you know, it's not a pill that you give them. It's, it's, a, it's a complex combination of things that needs to be in, in place in the company that's really tied into culture. And, and as we all know, these are some of the more tricky things to change and to create um, the, the, the ideal culture. And that's why, you know, for executives, again, it's such an important task. I would say it's the primary task they have is to be part of creating that right culture that makes their employees passionate about what they do. Then the rest will follow, yeah. right? Yeah, I, we just mentioned like making them passionate and motivated. I think it's connected to being uh, flexible. Sometimes mm. a, a company needs to be flexible enough to move someone from this specific cube to somewhere else. There is might be another role that is great for this person and, and maybe you should move him or maybe you should give him an option to do more or something different, you know, like in, in Google and many like tech companies, do you have like 20% of your time doing something different because they want to um, give you the opportunity to be creative and do something that you really enjoy and, and you feel motivated to do. Even if you don't take it into the commercial side, it's still very important for the employee and for the whole company. Um, Absolutely, and, and which is another aspect of sort of the future of innovation for organizations is this about letting go of control, right? And so, you know, the whole Taylorism and, and how, you know, uh, you know the company governance have been growing over many years, have been focusing a lot on how to put things into systems and therefore also gaining a high level of control of all the moving parts, including the human beings involved in the equation. And, um, and now, you know, they need to somehow let go a little bit about that control, saying employees can work when they perform the best, when, when it fits them the best. But at the same time, you also need to make sure that everybody understands, okay, what is it that we should do? If you're no longer micromanaged by a boss that constantly tells you now do this, now do this, and this is good, this is not as good, then, you know, you need to empower the employees to themselves constantly assess whether or not this is the right thing to do or not the right thing to do, whether or not this is, you know, good enough or needs to be improved. And, um, and that's, that's, that's a different, you know, skill set as well from the, from the senior leadership in being able to empower that knowledge. It has more to do with being a great storyteller, with being able to constantly show the North Star of the company, like what is the purpose of our company? What are we trying to change positively in the world? So that helps everybody have more autonomy, but at the same time, not deviating and, and you know, going astray completely from, from what is um, constructive for the company. And, um, and that's, that's going to be an interesting thing to follow as well in the future. Like, you know, the leading companies that are able to create this balance of both letting their employees free um, to exactly be passionate about the things that they do to work when it makes sense for them, when they perform the best, but at the same time, showing very clear direction. I guess back to my initial point of saying, what is one of the obstacles with, obstacles with innovation is the lack of direction. And it comes in here again. It's even like, how would you, you know, lead your future company with a very clear direction? You really need that in order to then let go of control, put empowerment into the organization 
and and let people more operate like if they were part of a small startup right where where they have the initiative where they have the mandate to make the decisions and to um, be innovative yeah you know like it reminds me of, of in general seeing leadership in the in the past it was very hierarchical and there was someone who's very smart who knows everything on the top and someone who's less smart or maybe um, supposed to be less uh, in control and right now it's it's more like flat because you want to give the control to the people and to enable these like skills experiences uh, um, what's going on in their uh, whole being uh, that they could offer the the system and not only being a very small cog in this very big machine and then you're getting less from the A potentially very very big opportunity in each employee yeah yeah and, and the trick is going to be a little like what you know what fosters you know creativity it's often not the complete white canvas right where where there are no rules and everything is just free and you do what you want I think many people you know they panic a little bit they, they get paralyzed um, so what you need is that combination of freedom but still you A lot of coaching and guidance and direction setting um, and and that's that's you know the fine balance how do you both let go of control while at the same time really support and nurture and um, and fertilize the things that needs to um, to grow from it and I guess it's a little what also being talked about with the new generations the Millennials and gen C's you know that needs exactly this balance of freedom and To feel like they have you know a mission that they're on and they have you know personal impact with what they do but at the same time a lot of coaching and guidance um, in making sure that they build the right skills that they understand how to make decisions you know in, in the difficult junctions that they will face I, I would just guess that the sea level if they're experienced managers growing from this specific company finds it a bit hard to see it differently because they grew in this organization doing things in a very specific way and now you're telling them you know these employees are different the way you need to handle it the technology the where this moving and now you need to see it differently and and many of the things you learned on the way maybe in like 10 years 15 years in the company maybe you should put a bit aside and unlearn some of it and that's why it's so different You know challenging to be an entrepreneur right and that is why basically you need to become a diplomatic rebel because you both need to be the one you know holding up the the the, the north star you know leading the way for the change but at the same time you need to be equally well in how to get people on board how to have enough empathy to understand where is that resistance coming from um whether it's you know or, or sort of more you know Uh, subconscious and um, and how how can you build pathways for the big organization to move towards this new way of working um, and this transformation and, and that's that's the challenge in a nutshell also for the entrepreneur balancing those two forces changing disrupting caring enough onboarding people so um, when you're doing innovation do you and help with open innovation working with startups too absolutely so um I, i think that's that's part of where where companies are moving towards right realizing that if they have to do everything themselves they won't have enough you know flexibility and adaptability 
or even resources and competences. So in order to be successful in the future, they have to open up the company more to collaborating with other partners, collaborating with individuals, collaborating with the customers, with the users, and potentially even collaborating with competitors. And, and so that's sort of the business ecosystem mindset, right? Of saying, how can we open up our company to, um, to really, um, you, know, it, you know, multiply our powers by being able to pull it from multiple different sources and not, within our, not only within our own legal boundaries or the silos within the company. And um, so that's very interesting. And, it's, and it points in the, in the direction of that, you know, it, the future workforce may be being less tied, uh, you know, in the very, sort of very binary way of either you are owned um, by one company and, and literally you are not allowed to do anything else but work here, or, you know, you don't exist to the company and you can't literally not even enter the premises without a security escort, right? And this very binary way of thinking about the workforce, you know, might need to change. So instead you're you are looking at your talent as being someone you're collaborating with. And sometimes they're on a project with you, other times they're with another project that's maybe further out in the ecosystem, another company, but someone you're collaborating with. And how do you create these both internal talent marketplaces but potentially also the external talent marketplaces where maybe you're exchanging talents with other companies that are in your ecosystem quite voluntarily, where now there's a lot of fear about losing your talents. And actually, I think that's often the reason why you lose them, because they sort of get tied down too much instead of maybe letting go and then saying, you know, how can we create the best possible path for all employees across a much broader ecosystem? And to your question about, you know, collaborating with startups, that is, that is you know, an absolute uh, great source for companies and saying if, if we are exploring a new territory and we are lacking the basic knowledge about this area and, you know, the, the talents and competencies and maybe also access to the right technologies to get into this, then collaborating with startups that are exactly exploring this in a very rapid, um, lean way is, is an excellent way of trying to then shortcut that knowledge gap. But it demands you know, a different approach. You cannot, as a big corporate, put down on, small, on a small startup the same you know, processes and governance and compliance rules as you would have in the big system. That's going to kill it. And there's loads of examples of that, both you know, in collaboration, but also through with acquisition and, and investment, that these small startups are being suffocated by the the large corporate. So that's another thing to learn, how to then have multiple different ways of collaborating with different partners and individuals based on who they are, the size they have, and what is needed in this particular context. So what you're saying is, I see it like, since the employees could be more flexible in the future, they could work maybe with several uh, companies, with several um way to connect with them, sometimes as an employee, sometimes as a part-time, sometimes as an external a, a project, sometimes as part of a group, maybe a startup or a group of experts coming to do a specific project or a specific goal they have. Because this is the flexibility is needed, I guess that um, what we see right now, that everything is changing faster and faster, and I guess in the future it will be more. So the fact that people need to be 
flexible in what they're doing and changing titles and positions and workplace and what they're doing is so important for the workforce right now and in the future for sure. So how do how do we make sure uh, you know like we're not we're not coming from education but you know I, I'm a mom and I have kids so I'm just thinking what do they need? So how can we prepare the the ground for these people to be in this very fast changing future? Yeah, that's that's a that's an excellent question. And I, if you ask Lego, they'll probably say, "Well, we need more creativity in the educational system, right? Because we need to to empower the new generations of kids to um, to have creative confidence, so that they that they are able to to sort of you know flow more freely in in a changing environment where their creativity helps them." understand, okay, so how can I tackle this new situation? And basically have more confidence and, and being more comfortable about change, about things that are not you know, cut out completely in detail, but where there's still a, a couple of unknown areas that you know, somehow need to yourself you know, iron out or figure out, okay, so how do I actually do this concretely? And so, so I think that's definitely one answer I also believe in you know, empowering uh, kids from very early age. Actually, if you go early enough, they are highly creative, right? Most kids are, yeah. are super creative by nature. That's the, that's the way they learn, you know, anything. But then through the school years, that some, somehow, um, you know, some of that creativity um, dies a little bit. And often it's, it's at the age where you start being more self-aware, like what am I good at? What am I not good at? And, and this fear of failing starts creeping in. You don't want to do something that you're not good at, you know, the first time. And, and I think that's the critical moment where we need to, to uh, teach our kids, but also ourselves, right? Because as adults, we have this problem even more. You know, we don't want to be exposed with something we're not good at. We don't want to make mistakes in front of other people. So we stick to what we're good at. We stick to what we know. And slowly that sort of kills our creativity and potentially our ability or, 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 you know, want to move into new territories, to doing new things. And so if we can help the kids at this critical age to keep that, then I think that's one of the best investments in making sure that there's a highly creative and adaptable and passionate workforce in the future. But then, you know, when you look at, okay, so, so how do we manage it right now, where we are with the current, you know, workforce, and it's, it's again, back to the balance of saying it's, it's not just about letting people completely free. Now everybody are freelancers and they mind their own business, you know, and, you know, uh, we hire them when we need and then we throw them out again. That's not going to work either uh, because then they don't build the necessary capabilities and understanding for an area and it's economic, you know, financially it's too unsecure for, for many people. So you still need to look at them as being someone you care about, that you protect, that you are coaching, that you are investing in, though they are more free to move around within your ecosystem. So you're basically not losing them by them jumping over to another position. You're just helping them accelerate their learning and understanding and, and keeping them passionate about what they're doing. So it's again, finding this balance of we don't want this gig economy completely exploding where everybody's just jumping from one short-term hire to the next. Companies still want people staying on for a long time. And I think that's exactly the, 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 the mission here is to say, how do we do that by not tying them down, but by letting them go so that they can grow in our bigger system 
um, with also, you know, the partners that are around. Yeah, I guess that we could say that not everyone would like to grow and change all the time. There are some of the people uh, who would really like to do what they're doing in precision and going to the same subject to the depth through the Absolutely. years. And they're good at that. And, and they're doing and well. And, yeah. and, and they're needed for the core business. And in order to do something really well, it needs like experience and time and operational excellence. And it's not that it's not needed, but in some cases, maybe more and more cases, we need additional capabilities uh, that, that needs to be in, in, in a person. So, so what yeah. do you think um, is the best tip you could have for someone who wants to create change, like change makers or leaders, innovation leaders? What is, how could they really start doing what they're doing? Yeah, exactly. How, how, to, not, how, how to not only survive, but actually thrive being an entrepreneur and a change maker. And you know, based on the many years that I worked with this, um, and all the obstacles I've faced and all the difficulties and challenges, I've sort of identified a number of principles, if you will, or habits that, that you know, strong entrepreneurs possess. And I've created a framework that I call the top, top five principles of high impact entrepreneurs. And, um, and of course, there are many things, but these seems to be some of the most, you know, critical. And the first one, is actually to you know understand and anticipate and accept the resistance that there will be because many times i've seen entrepreneurs burn out too quick because they took that resistance personally and they sort of got surprised by it and and overwhelmed by it so if you can mentally prepare yourself by saying like you are going on a mission as a navy seal naturally there's going to be resistance right that's the name of the game but the job here is to then disarm this resistance. Not like a Navy SEAL, obviously, but, <laughs> but as a human being with empathy towards where is this resistance coming from? Um, how can we help people understand this journey that we are on? How can we tell better stories that makes people understand not only where we are going, but also their role, their potential role in this and how that's still critical and how they are very much invited to be part of this journey. So that's the step one in like managing the resistance by starting by you know, anticipating or understanding it. The second one is then to understand the rules in the organization, both the formal ones, obviously, but especially also the informal rules, which are often based on you know, the, the history of the company, things that happened in the past that now has sort of set strong, uh, you know, <laughs> strong ways of, of how we're doing things that is part of the culture, um, but also you know all the, the the templates and the ways of working, understanding why was this built in the first place, how has this been you know guiding and helping the company for many years, and how can we still leverage some of that in the future where we are going? So it's quite clear that we are building this on top of things that worked, but then at the same time being able to tell clear stories about some of those rules that might need to change, that we might need to adopt into a new way of doing things. Examples would be like the, the, you know, the legal contracts that the company have. Why does that need to change if we are contracting with a small startup? Because they're gonna get crushed by you know, the governance of, that, of that, you know, the, the existing contracts and how to source things in the, in the future as a procurement department or you know, the business modeling we need from our finance department, et cetera. So understanding these rules will help you then have conversations with the people 
that you will have to you know be part of the journey that needs to change the way of working the way of operating and, and, and in a way you need to sort of at lego we called ourselves you know lego lego brand fundamentalists like we would we would know more about the legacy the history of the company than anyone else because we knew that was very important for us to tell the right stories and to make sure we also showed the necessary respect towards the past you know realizing that we are yeah. standing on the shoulders of giants as we are looking into the future and it is the, the current business paying our salaries right so even though we're exploring the future business we we show a deep respect for the current one and for the past and, um, and so that's the second point and then to the third point which is about how do you create fellowship how do you build tribes around what you're doing because you cannot just do um, your innovation in isolation and it's very tempting to just keep it under the radar, you know, all the time through. And then only at the end, you come and say, ta-da, see what we made. And unfortunately, that often ends with that nobody loves it. You know, nobody wants yeah. it because they were not invited on board. They were not mentally prepared. They have not been on the journey that you may spend years on. And therefore, it does not compute with the existing system. So how do you invite people in? Building tribes, creating fellowship, and this is really about transparency, creating as much transparency as, as possible about what's going on. What are we doing? What could be your role? Inviting people in. And it demands an investment in both time and resource to make sure that this happens. And it's yeah. also sometimes that for an entrepreneur, it feels like, oh, that's a waste of time. Why do we need to invest in, in, in you know, informing all these people or, or getting up, you know, on the stage and speaking to everybody about what you're doing? Yeah. But and of course, it's connected to, to number one, because when you're transparent and people see it, then you get the resistance. If they don't know, they don't resist it, right? <laughs> exactly. So. The more people are exposed to something new, the more likely will, they will lean positively in towards it. And over time is what you see. People are starting to then reflect on their own, having their own ideas. And before you know it, people are starting to take ownership on these things and becoming part of it. Um, so, you know, one of the things we did at Lego was um, introducing demo days every two weeks in our lab. And the reason for this was not so much to get the input from people that would come, you know, down to the demo days and see the demos. That was also great. But more importantly, it was to over time slowly, you know, make people's uh, mindset and attitudes become more positive towards what we were doing. And eventually they would start feeling with pride from the things that they were seeing because, hey, I can actually use this in my area. And that's really what you want. So as much transparency and openness, how can you invite people in? Yeah. So that's the third one. And then moving to the fourth one, which is quite funny because, you know, as I'm, we are saying at, at Diplomatic Rebels, we're saying this is about writing love letters. And, uh, and we mean it quite literally because it is about being very humble and kind when you're reaching out to people, people that you need a favor from, people that you need to somehow be part of this or get permission to move forward with, how can you be very proactive in reaching out to them way before a conflict arises, right? So this is also about analyzing the organization and saying, where might the resistance come from? Who are the people that we need the most? Let's proactively reach out, spend time with them, making sure that they understand why this is important and what role they could play to become part of this future. So, um, so it is to be really sort of humble and kind and have empathy towards yeah. the people 
that may not initially understand instead of just rejecting them and say, well, they're all idiots, as I know some entrepreneurs might have a tendency towards, then, then you know, uh, rather say, okay, now this is our primary objective. How do we make this group of people, this department, this area really understand and start loving the things that we're doing? Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah, it's, it is. But actually, it's the easy, easy part about that one is to get started because you already, most people will know that, well, I could probably reach a little more out to these people. I could probably try to spend a little more time with these people to make them understand what's happening. So actually, one thing concretely we did at Lego, and initially, you know, when you're working with innovation, there's typically a number of departments that you're always, always, you know, in conflict with. And it's all those that are sort of keeping the status quo and, you know, making sure that everybody is in compliance. So that would be, you know, legal department, procurement, uh, finance, um, and your maybe sort of quality assurance. Those type of departments where you will often be, be challenging because you're changing the template, you're changing, you're not following all the rules. So what we did, instead of fighting them constantly, we invited them in. We created actually hot disks in our lab and say, here's a hot disk for finance, for legal, for, for procurement, et cetera. Why don't you come and work here once in a while and hot disk with us? And initially it was only the junior people coming in because they thought it was cool hanging out yeah. with these innovation guys but they would then go back to their departments and over lunch, they would be talking about some of the cool things that were going on, you know, some of the interesting things that we were able to share with them. And eventually the senior people came because they, have, they figured out that if they spend a little time there, they would be more in the know. When they were reporting up in the system, they were actually being in the know about, well, there's some interesting things going on here, you know, and we're exactly exploring these technologies. And people generally wanna be in the know, right? They don't wanna be left out so if they have an opportunity to be informed, to be knowledgeable, they'll take it. And eventually, actually, what happened was that these departments opened up their small innovation outfits, discussing, you know, what's the future of legal contracting? What's the future of sourcing? What's the future of business modeling? So that they started innovating along with us. And from being, you know, these enemies we were fighting, they became yeah. some of our closest allies in figuring out future ways of making sure that there were compliance and governance and discipline around the things that we will be doing. Yeah, that, that's, that's a nice story. You know, just going back to the soft skills to what makes us human and not, um, you know, like when I think about the education system, it's very connected to our, uh, you know, cognitive capabilities, right? If you could mm -hmm. go do coding, do, do math, do physics, whatever, like this is very important to, to use your brain. But usually when you're successful as a person, as a leader within a company, it's, it's connected to you being smart, doing your work really well. But you need so many soft skills and capabilities, yeah. which are usually not considered, even not even talked about during your educational years. And you really need them. You need Absolutely. it really, really well in a big yeah. company. That's another need... great point to the education system, right? How to enhance and empower social and emotional learning. Of and course. so just to touch on my fifth point on these top five uh, principles is making other people shine. And, and besides that, this is a great thing to do. This also has to do with how do you create a repetitive system? You know, how do you actually create a new culture where you're not just forcing, you know, a few innovations through a system, but, but otherwise leaving it sort of in, in havoc and flames? How do you make sure that, that the second time and third time around, 
everybody in the organization want to help and potentially even more. And so this is about making sure that everyone that was involved in the project um, is celebrated, but even also those that initially gave you assistance. Make sure that they also win from this project if it is successful so that everybody will say, hey, that was a great experience. Let's get back and, um, and support them again. So just a very brief example of that as well. One of the projects we were running at Lego, we, um, we were doing, it was a physical digitally integrated product. It was the first time we did it. We demanded, we had to sort of pull a lot of favors from a lot of people across the organization. And if you imagine, they had to do this on top of their existing day job. So, you know, using a weekend, et cetera. So we knew we had sort of, we had called a lot of favors and extra work to do this in a very short time. So when it launched and it was quite successful, we decided somehow we need to give something back to these people. And so, um, and there was a funny sort of built uh, character in this uh, game that you could build with Lego bricks. Um, and so we, we built him, um, this guy called George, we, we built the guy um, physically and, um, and put him on a small pedestal. And in a way it looked like sort of an Oscar statuette and then we gold, gold uh, paint sprayed the bricks. So it looked like, you know, a golden, Oscar statuette, but only of this guy. <laughs> and then, and then a small text would say, you know, George says you're awesome. We would wrap it in a very nice package um, and place that on the desks of all those maybe 30 or 50 people that really helped us out at night. So the next morning when they came, they found this package, opened it, saw this statuette that says, George says you're awesome, you know, thanks for all the help. And besides making these people really happy, and it did, you know, it had a, a strong emotional yeah. effect. They started taking pictures of this and putting on the intranet in the company. And, you know, sooner or later, the story came out, you know, when you're helping these guys in the innovation department, they really appreciate it, you know. And, uh, and it sort of um, it became a very strong symbol for that. And it was such a simple thing. It cost us nothing. You know, it took us a few hours to do this, but it meant you know, tremendously much. Yeah, that's a, that's really a nice, like I, I, I could imagine building these, small, it seems like I need to go and working with Lego. It's like building things, being creative, having fun. It sounds really great. So we were, we're almost done. We, I have so many other questions, but maybe we should do it again. So I want to thank you for your time and I want to ask you, how could people hear more about your work and, and contact you with the Diplomatic Rebels? Sure, yeah. So basically we do, two main things in Diplomatic Rebels, we help individuals, entrepreneurs that are working in large corporates and often they feel a little, you know, like lone wolves, isolated, alone, frustrated. So we help them through training, but also we have run a global network of experienced entrepreneurs that we call the Diplomatic Rebels Fellowship. So people can join that. And then on the other hand, we also help companies build that you know, capability to run entrepreneurial teams. So what is the right structure, the right processes, the right culture, the right type of leadership? And, um, and so if you want to understand more about this, um, go visit diplomaticrebels.com or you can reach out to me personally at david at diplomaticrebels.com. Uh, sounds great. I would need to hear more about that. So thank you, David, for your time. It's been really insightful and, and fun to be with you. So thanks. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely.
And to all of you changemakers out there, thank you for joining us. And I want, to, if you want to want to hear more about what I'm doing, go to invincibleinnovation.com. And I'll see you next week with another innovative, insightful talk. See ya. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.